Acts 4, verse 13 to 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. The grass withers and the flower fades. God's holy word, it endures forever. Well, we're drawing to an end of this series on the church. There's just uh, two more messages after today. We've been looking at the character and the nature of the church, what it means to be God's holy congregation. And one of the most common illustrations of the church that Jesus used in teaching the truth of his gospel and the kingdom of the Lord was that of a servant. If you were to read the gospels of Matthew and of Luke, there's at least a dozen parables that he spoke with that illustration the servant or servants of God. And some of them were speaking about the good that was done by these servants and quite a number of them spoke about the 
the unfaithfulness of many of God's servants where it was addressing Israel's particular failure of doing what God had called them to do. In Isaiah, in several places, that phrase, my servant, God would own the servant and he would say, my servant. It was used to speak of Israel. If you were to look at Isaiah 41, 8, 44, and as we heard in Isaiah 49, verse 3, God said, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And as his servant, God had called Israel to be that emblem of his kingdom on earth. How were the nations to know with all of their paganism and all of their unbelief and all of their enmity against God, how were they to know and to see the kingdom of God? God said, they will look to Israel, my servant, and they will know that I am the Lord their God. Well, we read in Isaiah 49 as well, shortly after that, how, how much Israel failed. <laughs> God expected Israel to restore the preserved ones. In other words, to, to bring forth His truth in every generation. To be a light to the Gentiles and to bring God's salvation and the good news of the Gospel. They had it. With the temple, they had all those emblems that were pointing to the work of Christ. And so they had the gospel and God wanted them to be a light to the Gentiles and to bring His salvation to the ends of the earth. Oh, how Israel failed. The five centuries of her existence was marred by a constant retreat from holiness and a decline into the world's paganism. But the good news is that even as God looked at Israel to be His servant, there was a greater servant that He was planning and purposed to bring forth from Israel. That as much as He expected that of Israel, He also in His sovereignty knew that they would fail. The kings failed. The priests failed. The prophets failed. All of those offices and all of that role of Israel was something that God had intended for His Son to come and fulfill all of that for His glory and for His kingdom. And when we read of my servant, especially in the book of Isaiah, my servant spoke even more to Christ. And don't we see that coming out in our text when you look at verse 27 and and verse 30? How did the apostles regard and convey an understanding of Jesus? They saw Jesus as God's holy servant. And the one who would come in the failures of Israel, who would come and fulfill what God expected of His servant. Jesus was the one who would come to truly reconcile all of God's people to God through His atonement. And you get to Isaiah 52 verse 13, and there the revelation of that work of Christ begins... It begins with those words, and my servant shall come, and he will be a blessing 
to the nations. He will sprinkle the nations with the gospel of God. And then it brings us into Isaiah 53 to show how His servant would accomplish the glory of God's salvation by being that substitution and atonement for all of His people. And Christ indeed, with His gospel, it brings the message of God's salvation to the ends of the earth. And how does He do that? How did He say that He would take that work that He has done and, and bring the message of God's salvation and redemption to the ends of the earth? It would be done through His body, the church. And when we hear those words, My servant, we also need to understand that God is looking at and speaking of us, His church. We are God's servant. And the expectation that God has of His servant today is still the same. It hasn't changed. God is purposed to restore the, the ones whom He has given to His Son, to restore them and reconcile them to Himself through that atonement that Jesus Christ has accomplished. God has purposed that His servant should be a light to the nations of the world and to bring His salvation to the ends of the earth. And you know that. A congregation, I'm sure you, you understand and that you, you realize that we are God's servant in this measure. You know the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus speaks about all authority having been given to Him. And, and what's the very next word as He exclaims that authority that has been given to Him by God where God has raised Him up and given Him that name that is above every name. What's the very next word? It says, Go and make disciples of the nations. Go and teach them all that I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you till the very end of the age to see that this is accomplished. Here we are, as we like to say, 2,000 years later. God is unchanging in His purpose. And I, and I want us to, to consider that. I'm not going to be focusing so much on our purposes. Congregation, I believe you understand your chief purpose as Christ's church is to be His witness. Acts 1.8 You shall be witnesses to Me, Jesus said. And so you are to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You are to go and make known My name among the nations. Congregation, I'm sure you understand that's your chief purpose. Not individually, but corporately. We are God, Christ's witnesses. Jesus Himself stated this. We are to be salt and light in this world. The church is not becoming salt and light. <laughs> we already are. <laughs> We have been made salt and light by Christ. It's not something that we're, we're saying, God, make me a light. God has already made us a light. What, what He's saying is you are 
the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now go and shine. (laughs) Think of it with a flashlight. We all know when we look and we see a flashlight, what's its purpose? To shine a light in a dark place. (laughs) What is dependent upon that flashlight to work? The batteries. But you understand, don't you? That even if there's a little bit of charge in those batteries, you turn on the flashlight, you will see light. And and that speaks to us as a congregation, as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We have the Holy Spirit. Now, mind you, Christ's congregations are more and less pure. All of God's congregations are more or less pure. But some are less pure than others. Some are more pure than others. We, We understand that. That the charge is going to be very weak in some and very strong in others. But they all have the charge. We all have the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence within our lives that makes us a light. Sometimes that light is dim, but it's still a light, isn't it? Because of the Spirit. The apostles understood that. And we read here, and our focus is on verses 23 to 31, but we we see the backdrop of this, that the apostles went out and they acted as the light of to the world around them. And they went out and they bore that witness to Christ. And what were they immediately faced with? Persecution. Hardship. Even as the people saw what they did, if you look here in verses 13 to 22, it wasn't the miracle that the chief priests and the elders opposed. What was it that they opposed? The teachings in Jesus' name. They opposed the witness to Christ. (laughs) And, And they bore heavily upon the apostles because of this. They came up to the apostles and threatened them. You get into chapter 5, they carried out those threats. They beat them, they whipped them, they imprisoned them. And it had nothing to do with some of the miracles that were performed. It had everything to do with teaching in Jesus' name. But isn't it interesting that the uh, the apostles, the foundation of the church as they went forward to be light and salt in the world, and as they experienced this persecution, and, and this is where it's carrying us into our text, did they say to God, stop this persecution? <laughs> oh God, why is the world so set against us? Why don't you get rid of all our enemies so that we can do this work in freedom and without any trouble? They don't do any of that, do they? And I say this because the problem that we have with being salt and light is that we fear the threats, the hardship, and the persecution, and the struggles that we have with the world around us. And often our prayers is, Lord, destroy our enemies so that we can do this freely. It's a wrong focus. Look what the apostles did. They knew they were God's servants. They knew they had been called to this task. They knew that in this world they would face tribulations. But what do they pray there in verse 29? Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. They understood that they did not serve in their own power. They prayed for that help they needed. You go back to verse 24, that's the, and, and you look and see what they focused on. When they, 
when the, the church heard the report of Peter and John, they raised their voice to God with one accord and, and they said, Lord, You are God. You are God. Give us boldness. And they prayed that because they knew they could not serve in their own power. And, and what this prayer focuses on is what we're looking at, what it means for us the church to be God's servant today, this prayer focused on the wisdom and power of our service. We know what we're supposed to do. But sometimes we're like that little child that says, when they're told, go clean your room. And they look at it and they say, I can't. (laughs) We've all been there, haven't we? (laughs) And like a parent, you say, yes, you can. You just don't want to. (laughs) And that's usually the problem. Well, the disciples come and they say, God, give us wisdom and power. And they knew it had to come from God. And and that's what we see first and, and foremost in this text. And we spend a significant amount of our time here. They saw that they were serving under God's sovereignty most of all. That's the first thing. They were serving under God's sovereignty. What does it mean when we say God is sovereign? It's a reformed key doctrine. God is sovereign. What do you mean when you say that? Well, this is what you're supposed to mean. (laughs) That we know that God is the authoritative rule over everything. Everything in heaven and earth, and the sea, all that is in them. God authoritatively rules over all things. There is not a single, as R.C. Sproul would say, a single atom in this universe that is outside the authoritative rule of God. Do you know how important, dear Christians, it is for you to confess that every day? That means that God rules authoritatively over all people, over all kings, over all nations. What's going on in Ukraine and in uh, Somalia and Ethiopia. We have some Ethiopian friends here this morning. And we were talking about the war that's there in Ethiopia. How many of you knew about that? Ukraine and in North America and this whole abortion. Everything is under the sovereignty of God. Praise the Lord. That's where we begin. Because if we don't begin there, we're going to do what we so often do as we go out and we think, we're going to change this world. No, we're not. God will in His ways and wisdom. But we're not called to go and change the world. What are we called to do? Be my light and salt. (laughs) And show to the world the kingdom of God has come in Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's what God wants us to do. Now you might say, well, that doesn't mean we can't go out and try to change things. Well, I'm not going down that road, but I want you to to see we're serving under God's sovereignty. Even as the apostles did in, in those early, early days of the church. And where do they point to when they talk about the threats and, and uh, the 
opposition and persecution that they were getting from the chief priests and the elders? Where did they turn as they looked at these circumstances? They went to what God had written in His Word through David. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. What they're saying is, Lord, you were right. The world hated you. It now hates us. Christ faced the rage and the vanity and the opposition of the world. And so did the apostles, and so did the early church. The apostles faced this very thing as we see in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of, of Acts. And we do today. This is no strange thing that's coming upon us. You know, and, and I think as Christians we need to recognize that this is not new. We're not in the most evil of times. <laughs> Maybe for our generation, we're facing more evil than 20, 30 years ago. But it's not the most evil of times. And when we face the the evil of our world, when we face the opposition and the rage and the vanity and the enmity of the world, where should we turn for wisdom? To this truth. O Father, You are sovereign. My friends, the sovereignty of God is to us a doctrine of peace. That's what it is to us. It's not just something we believe and declare. It is purpose to bring peace. The Lord God who made heaven and earth rules over the same. And do you know how that translates into peace? Then we realize, as the apostles here are doing, they realized that those who were opposing God are the same ones who owe their existence to Him. (laughs) Our enemies live and move and have their being from who? From God. They They are not a law unto themselves, even though it appears to us in our eyes that they are. No, they are before God and under His sovereignty. And when we realize that our enemies owe their existence to God, even as we do, then it should cause us to question, why are we afraid of men whose lives are governed by the Lord? That's where it brings us. Look how they they spoke about this in verse 27. Truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. We are anointed. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit as His church. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, even the people of Israel were gathered against. They stood against God's holy servant. These evil men crucified Christ. They scorned His ministry and teaching. We we read the Gospels and we see all the details of their hatred being poured out on Christ, crucifying Him, Jesus dying. But my friends, even looking at all of that, what did they say in verse 28? They were gathered against your holy servant to do whatever your 
hand. Your purpose determined before to be done. God is sovereign. Even this event, which which the apostles, even as they heard Jesus many times speaking to them about going to Jerusalem and suffering under the hands of the chief priests and the elders and and, and being put upon a cross and raised up to die a cursed death, they did not understand this is God's plan. (laughs) That God was purposed doing what He wanted to accomplish. These evil men, Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, the Roman soldiers, even the opposition of the chief priests and elders, all of these evil men were doing God's will. Now, can you fathom that? I hope you're saying no. Uh, We can see God's will in Scripture what they did against Christ. We don't always understand God's will in what that enmity and persecution brings in our lives. But is God sovereign over that? Yes. And the sovereignty brings us peace. Because what was God's will? God's will was that Calvary would fulfill His purposes in redeeming all of His people. Praise God. The hands of evil man fulfilled God's purposes so that we could be saved. Some of you will know this, but Octavius Winslow said this, Who was it that delivered up Jesus? Well, we might say the Jews and Pilate and Judas. But look deeper behind this. It wasn't the Jews out of envy nor Pilate because of his weakness, nor Judas for his greed. It was God who delivered up His Son out of love. And when you, when you know that, when you look to Calvary, and when you see that under the sovereignty of God, working through the hands of evil men to accomplish His divine purposes of salvation, then you realize... And this is an oxymoron. You realize how impotent the power of man is. It has no power. Even though it seems mighty in our eyes. Isn't that what Jesus confessed before Pilate? He made that good confession before Pilate. When Pilate said to Jesus, Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? What did Jesus say? You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. My friends, that truth holds forth for the church today. Whatever rages against us from this world is not a power that is greater than the church. It's an impotent power that is directed by the sovereignty of God. And no one in this world can have any power against Christ's anointed church unless it had been given. You see, the sovereignty of God is a doctrine of peace to us. And always and ever, we look to the the darkest point of earth's history. What is the darkest point of earth's history? It's Calvary. 
When they took the holy, innocent, blameless Son of God and crucified Him. That was the world saying to God in the fullness of sin and all of its aggravation against God. That was the world saying to God, we despise Your righteousness. And in that darkest point of earth's history, God worked the redemption of all His people from all their sins. From the tyranny of death. Isn't Can you fathom that? And this is where the wisdom of God becomes a, a, a secure place for us. To, when we confess God is sovereign, we are saying there's a wisdom at work here that is beyond me but is being exercised by the one who has loved me in offering up His Son. You are in no more secure place than you are when you can say, Jesus is my Savior. That's where we're resting. And if God is able to bring forth the greatest good upon the earth, in the darkest point of earth's history, and no matter how dark it is for us, how much more does He have His church in focus? You look at Canada today. We have a weighty government opposition against Christianity. If you don't realize that, realize it now. Our government hates Christianity. And they're doing a lot of things to work against it. And we can be afraid sometimes of speaking God's truth. Of being that light and that salt in a very evil time. But like the apostles of old, my dear friends, this is the time when we must rest and trust in that doctrine. God is sovereign. He has not forsaken us. He has not wound us up like a clock and said, okay, have at it. Let me know how you do. He is with us. He is for us. He is ruling over these things for His glory and for His purposes. What have we to fear? That's what we're, that's what we're realizing. What have we to fear? So we serve under God's sovereignty. And secondly, and the, the last two points are just very quick. We also serve in boldness. We also serve in boldness. You know, the apostles here knew their message wasn't going to be popular. Why? Because the message of Jesus wasn't popular either. <laughs> we carry the same message. But the interesting thing is, even before they speak and pray for boldness, as you see in verse 29, the interesting thing is, you go all the way back to verse 13 in our text, and you see that their boldness was recognized more than anything by the opposition, by those who were trying to quench any teaching in the name of Jesus. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and it wasn't because they were educated and trained men. They recognized they'd been with Jesus. (laughs) And they had a boldness. 
And that's the connection. We're in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we have boldness. Where does that boldness come from? How could these apostles be so bold when just days earlier they had forsaken the Lord out of fear, ran away, denied Him, done all of that? Well, the apostles' faith had been strengthened. And it had been strengthened not by them seeing some sign or wonder performed against their enemy. It had been strengthened as they saw the risen Savior, the sovereignty of God at work in redemption and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And knowing that, knowing that, being in Christ, being with Christ, they knew this was the God who was now with them. The God who is sovereign. It emboldened their faith. Eric Alexander, uh, uh, He's, he's a retired minister. He was a, a, quite a preacher in his day. But he wrote this. He said, Faith, our faith, does not grow in a vacuum. Our faith feeds upon the glory and the greatness of the character of God. You know God is sovereign. Your faith should be most bold. (laughs) If you know that Jesus has risen from the dead, you have faith that is as gold in God's eyes. And it doesn't have to be great. Jesus often said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can be bold. (laughs) And it's in light of the character of God, knowing their God, knowing Christ is risen, knowing that they are in the One who is sovereign over the world. Note how they pray. It brings us to verse 29. Even as opposition rises against them, how do they pray? Look at their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak Your Word. God, You see that they are threatening Your church. Come and give us boldness to speak Your Word. What a simple prayer. They looked at the persecution and what they saw was an opportunity to speak and to bring the message of the Gospel. They didn't have that opportunity before. But they knew, again, they knew God was sovereign. Joseph, I I think Joseph is the, the epitome as far as human beings go, other than Christ Himself, the, the ultimate one. But Joseph, I believe very much, held forth that truth. He had the promises of God given to him that he would one day be a ruler. But the journey to that position took him through slavery and prison. And how was it that while he was enslaved and in prison that he constantly served the Lord? It's because he knew God was sovereign. And those wondrous words, Genesis 50 verse 20, man meant it for evil. God meant it for good. 
the saving of many people. And here are the apostles. They, they come and they pray for the same in the face of threats and opposition and persecution. They don't ask for the enemy to be taken away. They say, God, you see what we are faced with. Give us boldness. In other words, take away any shame we have of the Gospel and give us courage to speak. That's what we need. Paul prayed for it. In Ephesians 6, at the very end, when he talks about that warfare that we are engaged with in this world and wrestling not just simply against flesh and blood against people, but recognizing there's a spiritual host of wickedness behind all that we face in this world. And we need that holy armor of God. What was it that Paul said ultimately at the end? And he said, pray. Pray with all prayer supplication in the Spirit. Petition God and petition God for me, even me. You would think Paul had already overcome any shame and any fear that he would have had. But no, he says, pray for me that I may be given utterance to speak and open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel. God, I need You! So that I am not ashamed of that which has brought me salvation. And the last thing that we see here in our text is they were serving under the sovereignty of God and serving with all boldness, but they served in the Spirit's power. Verse 31. God heard their prayer. And it's not what did He give, it's who did He give. He gave them the Holy Spirit. Now they already had the Holy Spirit. So, what does it mean that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? It means God came and like a person who has had a glass of water and uh, quenching their thirst drinks that water and puts it down and says, can I have more? And that's what the apostles realized. We need that filling of the Spirit. We need to be continually filled with the Spirit. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus said when we're praying to God and asking God for help and strength? What is it that we need most of all? In Luke 11.13, He says, Your Father knows how to give what you need. And what is it that you need? You need the Spirit. And how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for you know, uh, you read this and the, the apostles didn't ask for more abilities. You read that even in verse 30. They left the issues of healing and signs and wonders to God. They said, God, You will do Your work in those ways. What we want is that courage to speak. And to have that courage, they needed the Holy Spirit. And God gave them the Spirit. That's what He gave them. My friends, that same promise and that same goodness of God is before us as the church. And when they received the Holy Spirit, what does it say there? <laughs> they spoke the Word of God with boldness. <laughs> they were already bold. But you know that boldness wanes, doesn't it? It rises and falls. Some days were more bold than others. Circumstances deplete us. 
but in serving God and being a witness to Christ in this world, in being light and salt and that displaying of the kingdom of God. What does the church need? We need the Spirit's power to serve. And God wants to give it to you. That same place in Luke 11, He says, ask, seek, knock. And ask and seek and knock. (laughs) You know, um, I have on my email this little thing. When God, it's a little statement at the end. It sends out, when God wants to begin a fresh work, He sets His people to praying. And if I could encourage you and urge you more than anything as a congregation, yes, in your homes, pray. When we have our prayer meetings and our call times to come together, come together. The church needs Christ's Spirit to serve. And we need to ask for it. So there we have the church serving The church as God's servants. We have the sovereignty of God that is over us. And we also have a precious gospel to speak. We just need the boldness and the Spirit's power. And God will give it. Seek Him. Let's pray.